Hey guys, what's up? How's it going? I'm getting ready for the holidays, for Black Friday. You should probably check out birthstory.com to see what's going on sale. And um, it's freezing cold here in North Carolina. I mean, I've got like a hundred layers on. But I was really excited because I got this like warm chai latte today and I had the most warming conversation with Abby Rose Green right here in the middle of winter. And we talked about Down syndrome and I learned so much, so much. In my 18 years of being a birth doula, I have had the pleasure and just the joy of walking just one couple through the gaining of information and knowledge about having a child with Down syndrome at a 20-week anatomy scan. And so that is similar to Abby's story she found out, but there's so much that's complicated in this story, right? It was COVID, her partner wasn't able to be with her, and she didn't previously know anyone with Down syndrome. And so there was a lot to learn and to digest and to process. And she had two other kids at home. So we dig into a lot of education on Down syndrome today. We go through her beautiful birth story. There's just a lot. And so I really encourage you to share this episode with anyone you know that is carrying a child with Down syndrome or that has a child with Down syndrome. It's a really robust and beautiful community, and we want to connect as many people as we can. So thanks for being here, and let's get to it. Let's hear from Abby of the Herself Podcast. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, just a little something before we get started today, and that is, what happens if you don't take Birth Story Academy? So like, let's say you're pregnant, that's why you're listening to the Birth Story podcast, and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? 
In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions, pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition, and like we get into it. We make birth plans, we do birth visions, we listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences, how to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. Like, I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, like wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Abby, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. I am so appreciative of you being here today. And we're going to have an awesome conversation all about the birth of your son, Owen. You guys, we're going to be talking about Down syndrome today. And so we've got Abby. And what I know about Abby is that she co-hosts the Herself podcast, which is an amazing podcast. Pause everybody, type in Herself podcast because you're listening to a podcast and subscribe to Herself podcast. So Abby... Introduce yourself. Who are you? What are you doing in this world? Oh, yes. And thank you for having me on. I wear a lot of titles like your listeners. I am a mom. I am a business owner. I am a wife. I am somebody who is always trying to be a little bit better in all the things while also simultaneously being thankful for what I have. And as a mom of three with three very different birth experiences and three very different children, I'm learning that as a type A planner and someone who likes control, Sometimes you got to have a pivot and it's just been, especially with the birth of our son, Owen, and having a Down syndrome diagnosis in the middle of a pandemic, I've learned that life, living life in fluidity is far better than in the black and white. It is so much better. The listeners know my story. I mean, like fluidity is a great word for my family and having a spouse that transitioned just before the pandemic and, you know. Uh, the a divorce following that. So uh, fluidity mm-hmm. is great. We're going to talk all about change. So let's, where are you? Like, where are you in the world? Let's start there. Yeah. So as far as like job and everything like that, or no, I mean like geographically, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are we talking metaphorically here? Cause I could get really into like where the stars are aligning. If you want me to go there, we could do um, both. I, let's, let's start with like, just like, you know, uh, long longitude and latitude. <laughs> okay. So where the coordinates meet, um, I'm in Wisconsin. So I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. I've been here for, um, yeah, about seven, eight years now and really, really love it. We're approaching winter right now. So we know there's there's about to be a half year of absolute freezing cold, but as Wisconsinites, we can do it. We can take it guys. Okay. I love Wisconsinites. Okay. If I could just like randomly get on Bumble and like pick someone to marry, I would find 
a man from Wisconsin. They're they're huge. They're giant people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This we, is a, we, we eat really well here. We eat very, very well. I mean, they're so tall. Like every guy I've ever met from Wisconsin is like 6'4 to 6'7 range, you know? So anyway, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the cold. Um, so what do you do in, in Madison, Wisconsin? Like, let's hear a little bit about your businesses. Yeah, so... Herself podcast. We have had that for about three years. The shout out at the beginning. I mean, that's our baby. So between Amy Kiefer, who has been on your podcast as well, and I, we, I mean, we have the tagline of we want to get a little bit better than we were yesterday. So just always growing and learning with our audience. So we have guests on, we um, speak about our own experiences and we just take things a little bit more raw. So when somebody wants to talk about, you know, the fight and they sugarcoat it, we talk about the fight and we talk about what our husband said. We talk about how we were positioned in that argument and we just go into a lot of detail. Um, it's been really fun because we've seen a lot of Instagram growth. We've have a growing email list. We have a merchandise line. We now have a self care course because we know that as moms, self care is something that we put on the back burner. So we're teaching women how to do that. And it's just been a really fun endeavor. I love um, it. It's been so great. This is where I ask you, can we give away one of your self-care courses? Ooh, to let's do that. Let's listener? do that. Absolutely. Okay. We're mm -hmm. going to figure that out on Instagram and maybe at the end <laughs> of the podcast, you guys, but like, stay tuned. We're going to give away a self-care course. How about for like reviews? For, yeah, yeah let's, let's do, that. do it. Let's do that. I was like, mm -hmm. that feels good. Um, write a review for the Herself podcast and for the Birth Story podcast. And like in 30 days or something, we'll pick a winner. So and we do read every single one of our reviews. Reviews are gold in the podcast industry. So anytime, mm -hmm. if you want to thank one of your podcast hosts, write them a review. That is the best way you can thank them. Yeah. I say that when I became a podcaster, my like love language changed from gifts to words of affirmation. I'm like, it really feels good to receive because we put so much out into these podcasts and it like you're sometimes talking to a blank wall, you know? And so it's really nice to get that feedback back. Okay. All right. So I'm really interested in the self-care course and I have to know, like, so Amy Kiefer is of expecting and empowered. So that's a mm -hmm. really important, um, really educational pregnancy, postpartum, like birth Instagram account. They have an amazing app. And if you haven't listened to Amy's episode uh, with Expecting and Empowered, I want you to go back and listen to Abby's partner on the Birth Story podcast. We interviewed Amy and it was incredible. So I love what you guys are doing, but I really am confused on like how and why it got started. So how do you know Amy and how did her self podcast come to be? Oh, I love this story because we met in college way back when, I mean, 2008, and we were just acquaintances. And it's funny because Facebook Messenger was really big back then. And you can see our Facebook Messenger chats back and forth to each other. And they were just very far and, and I mean, very far in view. Like we did not have a whole lot of conversation. But then after college, we got engaged around the same time. We then got married around the same time. We were trading when, wedding venue ideas and s singer ideas. And then we got pregnant 
pregnant around the same time and we had our first babies around the same time. So just life kept on happening right next to each other. And when she started expecting empowered, uh, she needed testers and she knew that I'm a person that I follow the rules. I will do what is set in, in front of me. So I was one of their very first testers for expecting and empowered and then ended up working for them with their influencer program for several years. So it was a really fun way that we kind of got to, to know each other that way. Um, I mean, fast forward, she wanted to start a podcast and I wanted to start a podcast. We wanted to have the same type of audience, the same type of message. And one day I literally looked at her and I'm like, should we just do this together? Like we're doing these separate podcasts. We both are bringing unique strengths into the picture. Should we just do this together? And that's when the Herself podcast was born. So once we decided to do it together, it went very, very quickly with getting our first few episodes out, figuring out you know, the, the, the podcast art and all the, the different components that go into podcasting. And now almost three years later, we have another business together now. So we actually teach people how to create businesses with our pursuing her purpose business. So if someone wants to, wants to have a business, if they want to start a podcast, if they want to start a, a digital course, we teach them how to do that through pursuing her purpose. Do you guys hear this? Like Abby is a superior mompreneur. I mean, this is tough stuff, right? It is tough stuff to be like a wife, a mom, a friend, like, and to be an entrepreneur and be like responsible for these sources of income, but also making like impact and ripples in the world. So like, I love everything that you're doing, Abby. I think it's incredible. And on top of that, right, you have three children one of them with a unique diagnosis that we're going to talk about today, Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. So are you ready to get into it? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So let's start with you are, you're sitting at home. You've got two kids. Okay. Were you and your spouse like, let's do this again? Yeah. And that's a great start to this conversation because back it up a little bit. Lucy, our first, she's six years old right now. It took almost a year to get pregnant with her. Okay. So fast forward two years or a year and a half when we're like, you know what? We should probably start trying again. It might take a while. Micah, our four-year-old now, first try, got pregnant. Okay. So when it came to our third, we're like, you know, it could be anything. We have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And as we were trying, things just kept getting harder. Like our then, you know, toddlers were getting into more things. It started becoming harder with work. I was still working in corporate America, traveling all the time. And one day we're like, you know what? Let's just, I think we're good with two kids. Like if we don't get pregnant this month, I think we're going to be good. Okay. Well, fast forward two weeks, we got pregnant um, that month. The month that we decided, you know, things are going to be okay if we just have two kids. So for all the people out there that not unexpected because we had been trying at that point, but it wasn't also like the, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I'm pregnant. So, so exciting. Like it was with our first pregnancy. Okay. So it already started off kind of tricky. Kind of tricky. Okay. So when you say to like, you know, and we were like, if we will just try or whatever, is this like a month where you're like having sex all the time? Or is this like, and you're really connecting and you're driving with your partner? Is this like a, you know, we had sex like once or twice. You know, yeah. what kind of month yeah. was it? <laughs> and um, because so I tracked my cycles that that was our birth control for for a very, very, very long time. So I know around when I ovulate, I know when I'm in my fertile wave. Um, so sex every other day during that time was just kind of our cup of tea. We did that with all three pregnancies in order to in order to get it. But December is the busiest month for my husband. 
He is traveling all the time. He wakes up very, very early. I'm watching children. I'm ornery. You know, he's super irritated with all the things. So the amount of times that we, I mean, I could probably look at my calculations and figure out exactly when we had sex, but it, it probably wasn't like full of love and passion. It was probably like, okay, I am stressed out with everything going on right now. You want to do it? Yeah. Let, let's, let's go upstairs and do it right now. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> stress reliever, you know, sure I mean, sometimes it leads to an incredible child, you know, Just is so good. Um, I'm so glad that you said about sex every other day. I'm just going to simmer there for the audience right now. Maybe you're trying to conceive and you know, this is not where I'm like, you're having a fertility problem and I'm like, just have more sex. Right. But I do want to highlight that when I was having my own fertility journey and I went to the obstetrician and I was like, what's going on here? The, the the number one reason for fertility is lack of intimacy in a heteronormative relationship. And so that really like kind of hit home to me. Like he was like, there you don't want to have sex every day because of you want the kind of like sperm to like, I guess, build up. Yeah. And yeah. um, you know, to have like a more, I don't even know, like a more potent and powerful ejaculation. But not having enough sex also plays a role. And that kind of was eye-opening to me. And so when my partner and I started having intercourse every other day, it that is when I got pregnant. And so um, I like to at least just say that. You know, that's not yeah. going to be everyone's fertility success story. Um, but there's two of us right here. Two of so us. Worth well, that was our issue with our, our first. Our, our first was, you know, full of lust, full of passion. We had sex every day, sometimes twice a day. And then eight months later, we got a motility, like just an issue with motility. And so yeah. it's like, okay, there's less sperm and, you know, they aren't swimming as fast kind of a deal. So, okay, we can try an IUI. We can try these things or try sex every other day. And the first month that we tried sex every other day, it worked. Yeah. And then second pregnancy happened right away. And it only took us about three months with Owen. Yeah. So it did work for us. Yeah. So if we see you, if you're on a fertility journey, yes. like we see you, you, we hear you, we honor the story that you have, and we just want to give a perspective. Maybe you've heard it and maybe you haven't. Maybe this is the first time someone's hearing that. So you get that positive pregnancy test and you said it was a little tricky. So tell me about that. Well, um, this is like one of the first times I've ever shared this in front of public people. So this is something that only my closest friends know about, but I was in Dubuque, Iowa at my corporate office. I got pulled in because I was starting the Herself podcast and I was still working in corporate America and they weren't very happy with the amount of social media that I was doing to share my side hustle. And so I got pulled down to the corporate office. I had a meeting with the president of HR. I was in tears, bawling. And I'm a person who I can keep my emotions in check. Like I don't, I don't cry for no reason. I don't get upset for no reason. And I was bawling, uncontrollable, couldn't stop crying the entire day. And in my mind, I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I even told the vice president of HR, I think I'm pregnant out of nowhere. Like here I am getting in trouble. And I'm like, I think I'm pregnant. I can't stop crying. I think I'm pregnant. Like how embarrassing was this in the conversation? I'm like, I, there's no way I'm like, I haven't even told Colin yet, but I, I, I for sure am pregnant. This only happens when I'm pregnant. Cried all day, went home. It was like three or four days before my miss period. So very early. Okay. And it was at night. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a pregnancy test because today was too weird. And it turned out positive. Wow. So three or four days early, 
and at night. You're supposed to take the first first morning stream, as we all know, with those pregnancy mm -hmm. tests. But what I found out is that, or later, much later, is that the HSG from Down syndrome, so extra chromosomes, you can actually have in many cases, an early detection. There's more HSG earlier on. So no surprise that I got a super early pregnancy test for that reason. Obviously, there's a million reasons you could get an early pregnancy test reading, but I mean, at night, three or four days early, it definitely showed for me. I have so much to learn in this episode and like, we'll start right there. Like I had, I've never heard of that. That's it. That's yeah. fascinating to me. Um, did you lose your job? I did not lose my job. Um, <laughs> I, I, that was a job that I did not lose. They did tell me that I needed to figure out the social media use. I asked to go part-time a few months later okay. on my own accord. And then a year afterwards, when the Herself podcast was starting to make really big impact and also make an income, that's when I quit full-time. Okay. Ooh, good for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of things to say about corporate America in this conversation that you had in HR, but I'm going to leave that for <laughs> offline, another podcast, right. right? But I know like a bunch of listeners right now are hot too. They're like, what? No, Gat being gaslit, like this is crazy, right? Well, and in my mind, I'm like, my husband works for the company too. I'm like, do you know how much fantasy football they talk about? Right. My 30 minutes of very calculated social media being put up every three hours. Okay, guys, I am the least of your worries right now. Right. And I would be like, and I'm putting it up on Planoly and I'm not doing it during yes. work hours. <laughs> like I'm doing it after I put my kids to bed. Thanks. None. Um, well, I'm glad you didn't lose your job and that you were able to leave on your terms. So talk to me about um, weeks, you know, zero or day zero mm -hmm. until um, your anatomy scan. Like, how are you feeling? How is the pregnancy going? Yeah, we, we found out right before Christmas. And then I know that I get sick. I get sick with pregnancies. Um, and this one, I got sicker than any of the other pregnancies, which is also something that can happen with chromosomal abnormalities. Um, but I remember having New Year's with my friends and they're like, gosh, like, congratulations. So exciting. You look so healthy. You look so like you're not nauseous at all. I'm like, yeah, give it like three days. And literally three days after until week 14, I was throwing up three or four times a day, nauseous all the time. Um, really, really, really sick. But you know, like the happy to feel or happy to feel crappy kind of an yeah. idea. I was so happy to feel crappy with my first, with my second and third, the nausea just, it wasn't, it wasn't happy. I was like, come on. Like I have two other kids to take care of. I have a job. Like I'm starting this podcast. I remember recording podcast episodes and you'll get this, but if you have to throw up while you're on a podcast episode and you're just trying to get through it, it the episode, <laughs> you can tell that there's a little bit of a monotone voice in that one. So we had a few episodes that were like that at the beginning. Oh yeah. I've had, I've had a few episodes that I've recorded where I was like struggling Yes. And you just, I'm like, okay, it's now. <laughs> like, I got this. And just got to do it. Gotta and do you're it. like, you're invested. Like, I mean, you really care about the person that you're interviewing, just like I care about you today. And like, you want to show up for that person too. But sometimes it's really hard when like the vomit <laughs> is about to come. Uh, <laughs> so, did you take any like Unisom, vitamin B, Zofran? Like, are you a pharmaceutical kind of intervention person or like suck on ginger pops? How did you get through it? <laughs> I always say I'm an essential oils meets Botox. Like that's okay. where I am. So okay. like a little bit of best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, with, with our first pregnancy, I did nothing. I just did okay. like the essential oils sniffed on. Yeah. Ginger, peppermint and all that stuff. I didn't want anything to happen with that pregnancy. Take it forward to pregnancies when I have two other kids to take care of. And I'm like, you know what? This stuff is 
pretty good in the world. Most of my doctors say that it's great. I'm working with midwives at this point. They say it's okay. Um, I did end up going on, um, what's the Z1? Zofran. Zofran. I did end up going on Zofran this, this last time and it did help a little bit, but I'll tell you the number one thing that helped for me, if you're like struggling right now is not drinking water while eating meals. So I don't know what's going on with that, but I would get so sick right before meals, while eating meals and right afterwards. And I found that if I would drink water and then wait literally like an hour, eat a meal on an empty stomach with not anything sloshing, sloshing around and then drink afterwards, that helped me significantly. That's a giant pro tip right there. I love it. You know, it's actually something that they teach in nutrition classes, right? Oh, is to look drink. at that. Well, they, it's a little twist on it. They teach to drink beforehand. But in most cultures, you don't drink with your meal. Like in most cultures outside of the United States, right? Like the, the um, drinking comes post-meal, right? So that you savor your food food, you know, and the tastes and the spices, and it's not diluted essentially with big gulps of water and overeating. I love this. I think this is a pro tip. I'm going to tell all of my doula clients. So it was the only thing that worked for me. So if you can save one woman's life from, (laughs) from feeling so sick, I mean, job done. Did it ever go away? It did. So, um, with this pregnancy, it went away around week 14. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So right at the end of your first trimester, right at the end of my first trimester. Mm -hmm. Um, and some people are like, Oh gosh, did you lose so much weight? Like you were throwing up three or four times a day. Somehow with all my pregnancies, I gained like 12 to 15 pounds in my first trimester, probably because I only eat bread and candy. That's the only thing I can take down. And I just, you know what, like the first pregnancy, I was super nervous about it because I'd gained so much weight, but it's just what my body does. It's what my body needs. And it, it was fine. It always ended up being fine. Yes. I always say like, I don't focus on the number unless it's like a fluid retention thing at the end where we're worried about like help syndrome, preeclampsia, cardiomyopathy, like all the scary things, right? Like if you gain seven pounds of fluid overnight, like that's a problem. But yes, typically in pregnancy, like let it go y'all like the weight thing, the pound thing, it's all about nutrition right? Like if you are nourishing your body with proper nutrition, like you're going to have a healthy pregnancy no matter what your weight is. And I am, this is like side tangent, but like I am really over the birth world and the community and the obstetricians and even the midwives being so focused on like these, the pounds and not recognizing that like Uh, birthing persons can be fat and they can be fit and they can be fat and they can be healthy and they can be fat and they can be nourishing themselves. And like, you are definitely not fat. (laughs) I can tell that (laughs) Abby is a very Mm -hmm. tiny person. Okay. So 12 (laughs) to 15 pounds, is probably a lot for you. I can see, you know, but But it's hard as somebody who like has struggled with eating disorders and has struggled with, you know, weight dysmorphia and just looking in the mirror and seeing a different person. If a doctor, my doctors were awesome. Like they were like, you know what? We'll figure it out in second trimester, everything worked its way out. But if I would have been told you gained too much weight, if those words would have been in my mind, I would have gone back to when I was binge eating and had, you know, serious, serious issues with that. And I don't know where I'd be if my doctors hadn't been good about that number on the scale. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's really important. You guys that are listening. And if you are, you know, have recently conceived, maybe you're at your 14 week visit, just like Abby was get on the scale backwards 
set your boundary. Let the providers know, like, I've recovered from disordered eating, and I don't want to know that number. And if it's medically urgent, then you can talk to me about, like, going straight to triage. But other than that, like, I don't need to know what that number is. It doesn't serve me. But if you don't set your boundaries with your providers, then there will be no boundaries, much like other things in life. So moving along, Abby, that was like a really good moment. Um, I know where we're about to turn the corner is your 20-week anatomy scan and your ultrasound. But prior to that, had you done any genetic testing early on in your pregnancy? I didn't, and I never did with any of them. Um, Number one, it wasn't covered by our insurance, so I'd be paying out of pocket for it. Number two, it wouldn't change anything. So because of that, I I didn't have any... Um, like symptoms of it. I didn't have a family history of it. I was, you know, 30, 32, 34 when I had the babies. So it wasn't something that was important to me. But what was interesting about this pregnancy is that everyone knows what happened in March of 2020. So I had one doctor appointment, maybe two doctor appointments before all of a sudden never having a doctor appointment again. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things that like, I wouldn't even have the option to do genetic testing if I wanted to because it would have been during the pandemic. Everything was just completely shut down. I mean, I know that, you know, we're recording this in November of 2022. And so like we've come so far through this pandemic and like, oh, wow, our partners get to come to our appointments with us. But like, remember back when like you couldn't even have an appointment <laughs> because yes. people were so afraid of, you know, what was going to happen. I can't, I literally cannot even imagine. And I've interviewed a bunch of people on the podcast that started their pregnancies at the start of the pandemic, but like, I can't even imagine, but they did schedule you for an anatomy scan. Um, yes, but it was, it was one of those if you want to do it, you can, you don't have to do it. I was at that point thinking of a home birth okay. because I have done births before. I can do it without medication. I, I I know my body pretty darn well. I have a very supportive partner. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a home birth. Like if this is still going on, I'm not going to deal with my partner not being able to be at the hospital. And then they're like, well, do you want a 20 week anatomy scan? Um, you know, like any, do you want to check in? I'm like, you know what? I haven't been to the doctor since like six weeks. I probably should. So went to the 20 week anatomy scan, partner could not come to the 20 week anatomy scan. And I mean, as if we want to get into that one right now, this is kind of where everything yeah. happened. Did, were you able to put Colin like on like FaceTime or something? No, no, the, there was no, we could have done that, but for starters, it was my third time going through it. Like he, he cared kind of, but it was like, you know what, if you don't want to do this, babe, you don't have to do this kind of a deal. Yeah. And there was no reception when we got in there. So I wanted to show him like the video of, yeah. of the baby and be able to do that real quick. But the anatomy scan that, I mean, generally for me, it takes, I don't know what, 45 minutes, an hour, hour came, hour 15 came, hour and a half came, two hours came. I'm like, Dang, they are really thorough now. 2020, like 2020, they have they have really upped their game when it comes to these anatomy scans. And the tech kept on leaving and then coming back in. She kept on leaving and saying, we need to take one more look at baby's heart. She'd leave, she'd come back in. Okay, just one more look at baby's brain. She'd leave and come back in. And at this point, we didn't know the sex of the baby. We didn't want to find out the sex of the baby. Um, but what we did find out was a lot more. Okay. She leaves once and four people come in. They're in full PPE apparel. You can't see their faces. You can't see who they are. Words start coming. And I don't even know if they're talking to me or if they're talking to each other, but I hear the words brain cyst, 
hole in the heart, bloody bowels, and possible chromosomal abnormalities. And, and all of this alone, came out of nowhere. Abby, you're alone. Totally by myself. I'm, you know, that there's an advocate in me that's getting like slightly angry. Like, did they offer to say like, we need to deliver news to you and like, we're going to make an exception and like, you need to call your spouse to come. I mean, like I, like they just, they just it came wasn't. in and just started firing this information off to you. It was. Were you still like half naked with your like legs and stirrups? <laughs> Like belly was totally open, you know, yeah. still had the gel on my tummy kind of a deal. And it was just so fast. Like everything just happened so fast after being there for hours of getting this anatomy scan. It was all these words. And I'm a person like I, I get overwhelmed easily. And when those words started coming, I got overwhelmed. And I just don't really remember a lot of what happened next. I felt like I was drunk. It, that's what it felt like. Yeah. I remember trying to call my husband and the phone wouldn't go through and trying to text him. And the message kept on saying, Un, unable to send because there was no reception. They brought me into room after room after room. Um, the first room was talking about termination because in Wisconsin, you have until week 22 to terminate. I was at week 20 and some. Um, and right then I said, no, no, I don't want to terminate this baby. Um, and they're like, are you sure? Like, this is the, this is your last, this is your, when you decide. I'm like, no, we don't want to terminate this baby. And we went into another room and they went through all the statistics of everything. We went into another room and they talked about, you know, the wonderful things. And that was the, that was ended up being a really good meeting, but she talked about all the wonderful things that chromosomal abnormalities can have. But in all of it, it was a statistic. And as somebody who likes numbers, I'm like, I'm just a statistic right now. Like my baby is a one in how, how much chance of having a chromosomal abnormality. And at this point it was trisomy 13, trisomy 18 and trisomy 21. Trisomy 21 is the most common chromosomal abnormality that you see because those babies have Down syndrome. That's one that can, um, not generally, but can make it through, through fertilization, through the egg splitting, through birth, through all those things easier than trisomy 18 and trisomy 13. Those ones, baby generally dies either in pregnancy or slightly after giving birth. Okay. So right now they just have these markers from an ultrasound, but we don't have genetics. So we don't have genetics. Nope. So what happens next? So at that point they label it down into a statistic. So where it's usually one in, I don't know, 7,000 chance of having a baby with chromosomal abnormalities. I don't know that exact number. So don't quote me on that because I was 30 turning 35 it like increased it by 10 times. And then because I had three different soft markers, it increased it by 10 times each time. So going from one in several thousand down to one in 30 was what they had given me. And so they said, you have a one in 30 chance. In my mind, I'm like, okay, so that's like looking at a classroom of children. What are the chances that my child will be that one child in that classroom of children? Like, it's not, not that high. And I kept on thinking, positive mind spin on it. I'm like, it's not that high. Like, probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. They then offered an amniocentesis. So an amniocentesis is when they take a really long needle and they insert it into your belly and they take a little bit of the amniotic fluid and they can test the baby's chromosomes. They can test a lot about the baby from that. Very, There's a little bit of... Very yes, distinct point, though, is yes. it, it does puncture the amniotic sack. So yes. in order to get into amniotic fluid, there, we're now going to have a small puncture in the amniotic sac. So with that comes some risks, right? 
what they come some risk. So they let me know all the risks right then. And the other thing was, is that we couldn't get a hold of our insurance company and the insurance company wouldn't cover that unless there was something beforehand. Like you had to have doctors writing in beforehand, but because I couldn't call my insurance company because my phone wasn't working, I couldn't even see if I could have a amniocentesis. And because we were in the middle of a pandemic, I wasn't allowed to leave until I made that decision. So they were, it was all these things being thrown at me. And again, I'm here by myself. Like I, I, my husband doesn't even know at the, at that point, I don't know about the insurance company. I don't know. I don't know if what my decision is going to be on any of this. And I have to make all these decisions before I can leave without talking to any of these people. And they didn't like throw you in a room with a landline. I mean, it was, it was so hard because like it was, it was the heat of the pandemic. So this was beginning of April, mid April. So, I mean, we are, you have to take, it was absolutely insane. Yes. Finally, my phone went through. I remember like walking into birds and like everyone's kind of like in that full PPE, you know, face shield double masks, eye goggles. Like it almost looks like, like a space suit. It's a very, it was, if you didn't experience it, you guys, I'm so thankful because I wasn't even giving birth. I'm just over here as the doula. And it was very scary and intimidating, right? Like just like these giant, like hazmat suits, you know? I mean, I just, Abby, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes right now, and I just can't even. I mean, my I'm I'm crumbling inside right now for you. Like I'm crumbling. Like just the thought of being alone. What I do know as a trauma survivor is that there is a trauma response that you described where it does kind of become like a black hole. And that feeling of being drunk and the word that they use in in all different types of therapy is called um, dissociation. So mm. you like disassociate from the scenario, like your body kind of your, I think your soul and your physical body kind of like disconnect because you can only handle so much. So that drunk feeling that you described, like that's a very normal trauma mm. response. Have you done any EMDR therapy? So not from this trauma that I went through, I could for sure be helped with a lot of it. Um, I mean, fast forward a little bit, I ended up getting Hashimoto's and they think it's an autoimmune condition and they think that it started because of all of this going on in a very short period of time. It's triggered by pregnancy and by acute stress. And now I'm living with Hashimoto's and they think that it started in April of 2020. Yeah, that feels aligned for me as someone who goes to functional medicine and I know a lot about about yes. a lot about autoimmune disorders. Um never underestimate stress. You guys. Oh my gosh. Adrenaline oh my gosh. and cortisol are terrible for our bodies. Terrible. Um so how did this play out? Like what decision did you actually make? Yeah. Well, my phone finally went through, like it finally, finally went through. I told my husband the things that he needed to know without going into too much detail. 
and he got the president of the company on the phone. Like he just went right to the president of the company and he goes, you know, my, my Abby is in, cause I worked for, we worked for the same company. Abby is in a really hard situation right now. They need a yes or no on this amniocentesis. We would like to find out if we can, but it's $15,000 or whatever it is out of pocket that we're not willing to spend. And the vice president of the company or the president of the company, rather, he just pushed everything through. He's like, we'll, we'll get, we'll figure it out on our end. Yes. Just say yes. I have goosebumps. So it was like the most amazing thing. Like, and like to this day, like I'm going to tear up thinking about it, but the people who show up for you when you need them to show up, you will never forget that. Whether it's in the worst of times or in the anticipation of the worst of times, when someone shows up for you in a way that goes above and beyond, you don't forget it. And it stays with you forever and ever and ever. And um, that was one of those moments. There's little bits and pieces of like angels coming down on earth, regardless of what you believe in, with yeah. people who were who are in the medical field at those hospitals, sitting with me, even though my husband couldn't be there over and over again. I'm like, gosh, they just went above and beyond. I will never forget you. Yeah. But I ended up doing the amniocentesis. And just as you said, it's it's a puncture. It feels like you're getting kicked in the gut with a cleat. That's the way I can explain it. It's it's not just a needle hole, it's like a size of a of a baseball and it hurts all around and you're pushing it in. And the only thoughts that I could have during it is, am I hurting my baby? Am I hurting my baby? Am I hurting my baby? Because I want information, because I want information, because I want information. Like if I were to hurt my baby, it would be because I wanted information, which is a terrible feeling to have when you're in the amniocentesis. But it ended up being really good. Uh, our um, our baby was, he, he was great, slept the whole time, didn't move. They were able to get a really good read. And when I was in that appointment, my husband, again, couldn't be there. And this woman walked in, like this cute old woman walked in, and she's like, can I hold your hand? And she had to wear gloves because it was, again, the middle of the pandemic. But the warmth of her hands behind the latex and just how it, she like interlaced my fingers. It, I hadn't felt touch from anybody besides my partner and my children for like two months at that point. And having someone else touch me in such a gentle and caring way, yeah. like I knew that someone was there to support me. And it was so beautiful. I, I later found out that she wasn't just some woman. She was actually like the head person of the entire department. She could have been doing anything for that hour, but she spent the time with me. Yeah. How special is that? So <laughs> special. I love what you said about the people that I'm like over here bawling too, but like of the people that show up for you, you know? So like, you know, I, like I said, I'm a trauma survivor and I'm an, I'm on year four right now of like, a you know, a major traumatic life event. And yes, it's like, I have these little angels that just like come down, you know? And, um, I remember that feeling so well too with you, Abby of like, being so disconnected from people in the world and just needing physical touch, you know? I mean, my children, at that point, I was going to maybe stop co-sleeping, but I was like, no, we're just going to keep co-sleeping because, like, I was just craving, like, that physical touch. Just someone holding your hand can be everything, you know? Everything in this situation. Um, How long did the amniocentesis last? How long did it take? I mean, it was a really fast, like, I think it was only about 15 minutes of the actual procedure, but anything with these medical things, it's so much prep and then so much cleanup afterwards. So I think I was there for like probably an hour and a half total. Okay. 
And she stayed with you the whole time. She stayed with me the whole time. She walked in and she asked me very politely, like, would you like someone to be with you? And at that moment, I'm like, yes, I need someone to be with me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't care who it is. And she stayed with me the entire time. Okay. And at this point, do you know where Colin is? Is he like just going to be at home waiting for you? Like, did you guys have a plan? Like, what did that... I'm trying to even put myself in his shoes because he's not on the podcast right now. But like, do you have any perspective of what that was like for him? Oh, Heidi, I do because he was waiting in the parking lot. So he was able to drop me off. And at this, for this appointment, especially, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to drive home emotionally and physically. So he was waiting in the parking lot for me and he actually recorded a video during that time. It's about a four minute video. It talks directly to our child. And I mean, the overall is saying like, whoever you are, like whatever you are, whatever chromosomes make you up, like we're going to love you. You are here for a reason. And we know that. And it's the most beautiful video. It pops up on my time hop once a year. And I just love reviewing it and seeing where his thoughts are as, as the partner who can't be there. Like it's, it is his child, but he's not the one who is you know, growing this child. He's not the one feeling the movement. He's not the one um, in the appointments, but it's still his child. Yeah. Oh, that is, he's a good man. Great man. Great man. (laughs) I was like, that was a, a, that was pretty creative in the moment too, to try to stay and feel connected. I love it. Um, How long does it take to get the results from an amniocentesis? They say two weeks, uh, but it usually comes a little bit sooner. So okay. that it was the week before my birthday that I got the amniocentesis done. And it, it comes in stages. So they get news back and then they call you with the news. So um, one news came back and it was like a bacterial infection that they were testing for. And I can't, and I wish I would know what it is. It starts with a C, I believe, and it's multiple, multiple syllables, but it's a very, very bad bacterial infection that the soft markers it could have been because he had a a brain cyst and all these things. And they called back on a Monday and they said, your baby does not have the bacterial infection. They called back later in the afternoon on Monday and said, and said, your baby does not have trisomy 13. And they called back the next day, your baby does not have trisomy 18. So at this point I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're just keep on getting good news. I'm, I'm loving this. This is great news. The next day was my birthday. And I told them not to call me. I said, don't call me with, with good news. I'm doing quote marks. Don't call me with good news. Don't call me with bad news. Again, quote marks. Just don't call me on my birthday. I don't want to think about it. We had incredible birthday. It was wonderful. It felt great. And then my father-in-law got COVID. And at this point, you know, the first person who gets COVID that, you know, it was very scary. Like that first person, everyone can think back to the first person who has COVID. You're wondering where'd they get it from? Are they going to die? Like who else have they been in contact with? So he got COVID (laughs) right around my birthday. And it was so scary because my mind is going from amniocentesis results to is my father-in-law going to die kind of a deal. And it was just this back and forth, just this whiplash of crazy emotions. That night I did call. I said, I know I told you that I didn't want to know, but I need some news right now and I've only gotten good news. Can you please tell me if you have the amniocentesis results? And they didn't. Okay. But the next day they called, I was taking a nap and I woke up and I had the phone, and the voicemail and it said, um, we would like to talk with you. Please give us a call back at this phone number. And the nice thing with the pandemic is that my partner and I were working just a feet apart. So I ran down to his office. I said, okay, Colin, they have the results. Do you want to call back together? 
And I don't know what I was thinking at this point. I mean, we'd only gotten, again, quote unquote, good news. We'd only gotten results that said our baby is typical, our baby is typical, our baby is typical. And so I think I just was kind of thinking that that would be the next bit of news. And when she called, she got right to the point. And she goes, hello, like, how are you doing? I told her I woke up from a nap. I was feeling great. She goes, okay, well, everything is making sense. All of these soft markers are because you're going to have a baby with Down syndrome. We got the results back and congratulations, congratulations on your baby. And it was very, very quick and it was very positive and she didn't go into all the details. And at that point I went silent. My husband had to finish the conversation. I stared at a wall for probably the next three hours um, while he called people and just let them know the news. And he went right to research. So where I just went in internal and didn't want to talk to anybody, he went to Google. And that was how we both started to cope. Okay. Um, Abby, here's where our story meets. And the audience needs to know. I'm super emotional. Okay. Because the rest of this birth story, you guys, is healing for me. Um, And as a an 18 year veteran doula who's been to like over a thousand births and right in this time frame, Abby knows my story, but, um, I got a phone call. I got this phone call, but it wasn't Abby. Her name was Bradley. His name was Terry. And they had just gotten the news that they were carrying a child with down syndrome and they were looking for doula support. This episode is to like honor baby Max. Baby Max didn't make it. Baby Max died 24 hours after delivery. And so I wanted to make sure that I am transparent with the audience, but there's a lot of tears going on because I'm trying to now interview you, Abby, through the rest of this story, but it's going to be parallel from here on out of a journey where I walked side by side a couple through this story and I learned some and and not a lot. And so I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and I appreciate your grace with that. Um, because the only child I've ever held with down syndrome was sleeping. And so let's start right there. You shut down. Colin goes into research mode. And what I would love for you to share with the audience is what did Colin learn about carrying a baby with Down syndrome to term? What expectations for a safe birth and delivery would look like? And what it was, what the rest of your pregnancy and expectations would be? Because when we were at home birth with a midwife, <laughs> right? Minutes right. minutes earlier, <laughs> so. Let's go, th- let's go down that, that story. Yeah. And what, what Colin specifically learned, Colin's a very sensitive man. So when you think about the two of us, he takes on a lot of feminine qualities when it comes to sensitivity and empathy and words. And during this time, he learned so much about the statistics and about the research, as well as about how people receive the news and how to react and how to not react. So this is a learning this is a learning situation for everyone out there when someone has news like this and they share it with you. Um, 
the ways to not react <laughs> because we learned so much about that during this time. Um, I mean, when he went to, to research and we went to Google, he learned that babies can be born. Most babies with chromosomal abnormalities are born early. They can be born with a lot of heart complications. So about 50%, 50% of babies with Down syndrome have a heart complication. Hearing, sight, smells, um, even just ear issues, nose issues, sinus issues, eye issues are all a lot, generally a lot higher with babies with Down syndrome. Um, speech is delayed, motor skills are delayed, brain development is delayed. So it's like we're learning all the things that are delays, the things that are challenges, the things that are issues, the things that our baby won't ever be, our are things that our family won't ever have, the ways that we'll have to sacrifice. Like that is what Google shares. When you do a quick Google search, that is what Google shares. And what I've started doing with my page, Abby Rose Green, and what luckily our um, chromosomal abnormality expert at the hospital started to share is the positive things, mm -hmm. the things that you don't know unless you have a child with Down syndrome. Um, it's like nothing else. Like you can't, you can't even explain it to somebody because it is such a surreal experience having a child with Down syndrome. And it starts, it starts right when you hold them. Um, I know that a lot of people get feel really connected when they're inside. And I was just scared. Like I was just really scared for a lot of my pregnancy because that's all I was hearing. Um, when I was open to the fact that things would be good, that's when those days were the absolute best. But kind of moving back a little bit, Colin was the one who started to text and call people. And his first phone call, I'm not going to say names right now, but his first phone call, um, when the person picked up and he said the news, the first thing they said was, <gasps> are you sure? And it did not feel good. It was like this stab. And then it was immediately followed by something like, maybe they should check the tests again, because I heard that, you know, my best friend's daughter had the same diagnosis and she turned out just fine. Doesn't feel good. <laughs> like that just doesn't feel good. We called somebody else and right away it was toxic positivity of you're going to be so good like this baby's the you're in the best hands um all these things which felt better right that felt better but it still was like oh i just want someone to sit with me right now so from then on we're like you know what no more phone calls because this is way too hard and we just started doing some texts and i'll say that colin's dad responded in the best way he just said like i'm here for you we love this child let me know what you need it was so simple, but just standing in solidarity, not trying to fix the issue, not trying to cover up the issue, not trying to sugarcoat the issue. We just wanted people to stand by us. I did the same thing with Amy Kiefer and she responded very similarly. Like, what can I do? I am here for you. And like, those are the messages that I, I, I save and they are in my database of my mind. And you'll, you'll remember it again forever of the people who responded right and just how good it felt. We don't have any, like, it's not like it was, it was we have like judgment towards the people who responded wrong. It's hard because you have never heard that news before. Yeah. They, they, they responded in a way that felt natural to them. But in the future, something as simple as, you know, congratulations, I'm here for you. What do you need? It can be so simple and leave such a big impact instead of trying to fumble with your words. I feel the parallels in my own life so deeply. Abby, I, you may not know this, but my child has cerebral palsy. He okay. had a stroke at birth. And so there are some very 
strong similarities with um, I our diagnosis didn't come until two years old when my child wasn't speaking and wasn't walking or crawling properly. Um, story for another day, but um, it is so hard to know what to say. It's so hard to know what to be. For those of you listening, I think just hang on to Abby's words, like keep it simple, just hold space. We are fixers by nature. Yes, we are. Yeah. But I think the message that's really important with any uniqueness, okay, Sometimes we learn about our children's uniqueness in utero and sometimes we learn about all their uniquenesses when they're on the outside and they start showing you who they are, right? Is that Down syndrome that I asked Abby at the beginning, I said, is this a diagnosis? You know, um, just like cerebral palsy was a diagnosis, um, But I think it's really important if you're interacting with parents who learn about their child's uniqueness, because all of our children are unique, but their uniqueness early on is that it's, we're not looking at our children as if something's wrong with them or they're, 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 they're broken. It's just something unique and wonderful and different, and there's a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our six-year-old daughter has the perfect line, and she uses any chance she can get to be a Down syndrome advocate, whether it's at the library or at the checkout at the grocery store. If she sees somebody who looks a little bit different, it just like triggers something in her mind, and she'll tell the desk clerk, you know what? Everyone has differences. Some people are tall. Some people are short. Some people have dark hair. Some people are bald. Some people don't have arms. Some people have have funny looking toes. Some people have Down syndrome and some people don't. We're all different. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. So simple. I'm like, you know what, girlfriend? You are exactly right. We're, we all have something, don't we? We all have yeah. something that makes us unique. Is she writing her first children's book with you I know, right now? Right? She should. <laughs> YouTube channel coming out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, just ship me that book so that I can read that to my kids when you when you and Lucy have that done, you know? Um. So you're making these phone calls and really I hear you, Abby, and your personality is just wanting that space and that time alone. And so it's you and Colin, it sounds like you guys are a great team and a really good balance there of to be able to, he can hold space for you and you're still in quietness, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming that that flip flops in different areas and aspects of life where you then hold space for him. So he's making the phone calls. He's doing the research. You're processing and feeling what was the plan for delivery now? Yeah, the the home birth, it was almost like a, a laugh because I called my midwife. I'm like, so home birth is kind of out of the picture. And she didn't know that I was being sarcastic. She's like, this baby is not going to be delivered at home. I can assure you that. Um, so with babies having Down syndrome, they many times come early. So I went from having no appointments to having three or four a week. So I would have NST, so non-stress tests. I had growth scans. I had 
a heart doctor looking every every few weeks, a liver doctor looking every few weeks, a brain doctor looking every few weeks, um, on top of the normal doctor appointments that every woman has, you know, from 20 weeks on. So it went from zero to, it was my full-time job. Like I was at the hospital almost every weekday. Were you able to take FMLA to get time so off? So I was part-time, which okay. was kind of nice. So I just moved part-time and with the Herself podcast, like Amy was incredible. She picked up on a lot of the work that I wasn't able to do. But when you're at the hospital, I mean, for an hour during the NST test, I could just do my Instagram work or do my email work or do my okay. editing work. So I spent a lot of time just doing work in a different type of setting. Might have been a nice distraction. I don't yes, know. Yes, I, I needed I needed to have the distraction. Like that is something that I knew I needed during that time. Yeah. Do you know what percentage of parents find out in advance? Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I know that it's increasing now. So in the last 10 years, definitely the last 20 years, it's increased just because of how thorough that 20-week anatomy scan is. So I know a lot of people are finding out at the 20-week anatomy scan. Also, a lot of insurance companies are now passing through that 11-week, I believe it, it is, where you can take a blood test. I believe it's called the NIPT, um, where you can get it much, much earlier. Yeah. I was wondering, um, it made national news this week, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, mm-hmm. where Emily Maynard, she, yes. you know, is has been in the news for multiple reasons from losing her partner very early on while she was pregnant and then going on to be on the bachelorette and has now six beautiful children here in right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I had was watching a good morning America segment um, that her diagnosis for down syndrome with her child came at delivery. And so, you know, I, I don't have the luxury of calling up Emily Maynard right now and saying, you know, um, was there, you know, I was curious if, um, if sometimes the diagnoses are not coming because maybe of not getting an, an anatomy scan or if there isn't an obvious brain cyst, uh, GI bleed, cardiovascular defect that maybe those, um, markers aren't there to alert for future testing like an amniocentesis. So I just, exactly I wanted it. to say that out yeah. loud. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure everybody. Well, and maybe I'll ask Emily, she is following me. So that so, was like one of like the star. I'm like, oh my gosh, Emily Maynard is following me. Okay. But exactly. If Owen, cause Owen has a nasal bone. So that's another thing they look for is having a nasal bone. Owen has a nasal bone. So that wasn't a soft marker they picked up on. He also doesn't have any of the fluid in the back of his neck. So that was always like the thing, the fluid in the back of the neck was always the thing. Um, and he didn't have either of those. So if he hadn't had that brain cyst or the heart issue or the liver issue, we probably would have just kept on, kept on going and hadn't known anything. Yeah. Okay. Maybe after this podcast, y'all check the show notes because (laughs) I'll try to look at the statistics on like how many diagnoses of Down syndrome come at delivery versus, you know, earlier on in the pregnancy. So, um, so you said the major risks for birth are, um, preterm labor, 
um, having a complication or needing some sort of support immediately following the birth, like with the heart. Um, so what does the plan become? In my case with Bradley and Terry, it became a recommendation for an, an, an induction if she hadn't gone into spontaneous labor, um, by 39 or 40 weeks. So yep, 39 weeks is the day. So they wouldn't let me go past 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. And at that 20 week anatomy scan, they did say prepare for baby coming anytime between now and 39 weeks. So as a type A planner, when you tell me that my baby could come any day from now until the next few months, like that, that doesn't, that doesn't go well with my stress levels. Like just put it, put it that way. Um, but we like mentally prepared for baby coming at any time. That was also the help of going to all those tests. We passed every single growth scan. We passed every single NST scan during the course of these, his brain cyst ended up going away completely. The bloody bowels ended up being just bright intestines, which that's what happens with people with chromosomal abnormalities. They just have brighter intestines, so no issue there. The heart complication ended up getting smaller and smaller and smaller um, to the point where after he was born, we still had follow-up and we still will have follow-up, but it's not something that needs to have surgery. What's so the it's just name like all these things. What's the name um, of the heart complication? ASV. Okay. I'm very ASV. familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We see ASV, um, and I think there's another one. Is there um, ASD? Yes. Um, in preterm. So I've had several deliveries at 26, 27 weeks with ASV and ASD that were either closed on their own or uh, closed surgically. So yes. that's where okay. all those cardiovascular appointments came um, throughout mm-hmm. the rest of your pregnancy. Okay. Yep. And every time it was just a check-in to be like, is baby going to be born today? Nope. Okay. Go on home. Is baby going to be born today? Nope. Go on home. So every single day we went, my hospital bags were packed. Uh, again, Colin couldn't come to a single one of these appointments and would go home and everything was good. So it was kind of, it was nice because it gave me some confidence every single day was confidence that baby could stay in there one more day. Baby could stay in there one more day. Yeah. Talk to me about community. Did you find um, other, like, were you like hashtag Down syndrome? Like I, um, Bradley and Terry always did hashtag homie with an extra chromie. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. We have all the shirts, all the shirts, homie with an extra chromie. I thought it was such a like cute hashtag, but like were, you said you kind of shut down a little bit, but did you ever go into a, a place of seeking community, finding other parents who had children with Down syndrome? Like, was that part of your journey? Yeah. And I think that the Herself podcast, it came at the exact right time because I had been a nobody on social media. I posted three times a year when my kids were doing something funny or I made a good dinner dish kind of a deal. Like Instagram, social media was not my thing. And then the Herself podcast came and suddenly it was part of my job. Speaking to people every single week was a passion of mine and something that I did. And I didn't even know it, but I was creating this net that I thought that I was supporting them. And we were every single week, Amy and I were supporting this group. And then as soon as we needed the support back, the net was created and it was there for us to fall into. So, I mean, coincidence, definitely not. Like that came at the exact right time. Yeah, it is amazing. Just like you said earlier about like these little angels that got put on the earth. And I think that like any Instagram audience, social audience, podcast audience, like we are building community and 
and sometimes it is really beautiful when you realize it's a two-way street. You know, it's just not one or two people to the masses. It's the masses to one or two people. Yes. Well, especially in a pandemic because every place was closed down. So where we were supposed to find community and be able to be part of a group, they weren't, especially being audio or um, autoimmune compromised, they weren't meeting as groups. So the only social community that I had was online. Were there individuals within the Herself audience that were parents of um, children with Down syndrome? There was, and they had never brought it up before because it wasn't, why Why would you say like, oh yeah, hey, heads up, I'm the kid, I'm the one that has a kid with Down syndrome. But as soon as my news came out, all of a sudden it just came flooded with information of if you need help on this piece of it, or if you need support here, or it was, it was so cool to see how people wanted to help out the down syndrome community. We call ourselves the lucky few. And the reason is, is like, think about a, a group of clovers, like a whole field of clovers all have three leaves. When you find that one that has the extra leaf, it's lucky. And we think about a four-leaf clover as being extra lucky. And we think about our homies with an extra chromie as being extra lucky as well. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Did you know anyone personally with Down syndrome prior to No. Owen? Zero. Okay. And that was the thing is, and my, my line is, I didn't have a bad experience with Down syndrome. I had no experience with Down syndrome. I had no experience Down syndrome. I mean, maybe somebody at church when I was little that was in a totally different grade, but even in our school, it was a different wing. Like we didn't walk past the special needs community at all. Um, Sports were completely separate. Like everything was just totally separate when I was growing up. And what, I mean, now I have a bunch of friends. One of my closest friends, Colin actually officiated their wedding. We're so close friends with them. And they got pregnant the month after the wedding and they have a, a child with Down syndrome that's just a couple months younger than Owen. So talk about timing. I mean, his future girlfriend right there, just hanging out as we, right. you know, as we drink margaritas on our back porch for the last 10 years. And then all of a sudden we're doing this life side by side with with kiddos with, with Down syndrome. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely believe this is all beautifully designed. Yes, you know? completely. Um. So for those individuals that have recently left their anatomy scan or recently like Emily Maynard got home from the hospital, um, can you sort of, as we lead into the birth, could you sort of just give me a roadmap of what you feel like were the most helpful things for um, conquering, you know, this diagnosis that you could share with others that do these, do these five things, you know, you said type A. So like, what's your list? What's your list, Abby? (laughs) Well, let me pull out my scroll here. Um, I I mean, the most important thing is that all these appointments are for the baby. Like all these appointments that you go to are for the baby. If you're pregnant with the baby or if it's the baby's with you, but the emotional toll it takes on mom is something that no one talks about. No one talks about how taxing it is to book the appointment, to remember when the appointment is, to remember what you're supposed to bring to the appointment, to remember you're supposed to eat beforehand or if you're fasting. Should you, you know, have this much sugar beforehand or should you have no sugar beforehand? Is it going to mess with the results when you get there? How long is it going to be? You have to book all of your meetings after that at a certain time. So like the, the, the tax that it takes on a mom to go through all these appointments is ridiculous. And it's something that I want everyone to know about that you need to figure out along with taking care of your baby, how are you taking care of yourself? Like every single one of these appointments, I said, Colin, I need a high calorie, nutritious meal on the table ready for me when I get home. Like I will call you on the way home, have it already ready. 
for me when I get home. I'm just going to sit there and devour it. I don't want you to ask me any questions. I don't want to talk about this. I want to just process while eating myself. And then I'll come to you when I'm done. So just being very specific. It's not, it's not needy. It's not being stubborn. It's not being, you know, somebody, something negative. It's something that you need for yourself and you need to set those boundaries. And you also need to set the expectations of yourself and for the people around you to support you when you're going through it. Yeah. Boundaries are very healthy. Yes. So healthy. And, you know, I didn't walk this journey with you, but all of the things come to mind with self, self-care, especially in pregnancy, right? Alone time, meditations, walking, yoga, exercise, massages, you know, all of the things. <laughs> like, if someone asks to help you, just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. yes. Exactly. Just say yes. They're asking for a reason. And then you can bring back, you can repay them back when you have the time and capacity. Like that's how a community works. When you have capacity, you help others. When others don't have capacity, you step in and vice versa. You say yes when you can say yes. Um, and if you you have a friend who's going through a lot of medical appointments with their child or if she's if she's pregnant, this is a great time to be like, hey, can I go walk your dog? Or do you want, do you want, um, a burger or a salad dropped on your front porch today. Like making those really simple, easy yeses instead of how can I help you, which that is a great start. How can I help you is a great start. But being like, can I walk your dog? Can I sweep your floor? Can I drop off coffee? What kind of flavor do you want in your latte? Like those are easy yeses for someone to say yes to. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would follow up on is you don't have to read all the research all at once. So I still have pamphlets and folders and books that were given to me that I haven't even opened because when I started to open it, it just didn't feel right or I felt overwhelmed. It's okay to not take in all the research. You're going to figure it out by being with your baby. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads into the third one is that you and your life and your baby are not a statistic. Like you can design your own life you can figure this out. This is your journey. No book or textbook is going to teach you how to parent your child. It can help. It can definitely help. But like, think about your intuition and really sink into those moments. And that will teach you more than any pamphlet or book can teach you. I'm going to echo that as a child or as a parent with a child with cerebral palsy. At our first appointment at two years old, hospitalized for a week, Abby, they told me my child would never play competitive sports. He won first place this summer on swim team. Oh my gosh. And he's <laughs> crushing it on the soccer field. Does he have an asymmetrical gait? Does he have sensory processing disorder and has a unique way in which he communicates with the world? Yeah. But you know what? He's freaking playing soccer. And I just yes. want to go back and like punch that doctor in the face that told me my kid would never play a competitive <laughs> Sport. There's a lot of face punching of doctors yes. that both my husband and I want to do. So yes, like, <laughs> we talk like, about that often. Yes, there's like there's like a lot of angel sentiment that goes on, yes. but then there's like also like let's not put limitations on our children ever, just ever, just yes. just don't ever put limitations or uh, black and white yes and no and capable and not capable. You know, um, we are all wildly capable. And that brings me to your birth. You alluded to the fact that like you birth unmedicated, that like you are strong, you are wise, you are capable, but here you are having this recommendation for an induction at 39 weeks. Did you make it to full term? 
Yeah, and um, part of the reason that I made it full term was, well, he was also breech. So like, just throw something else in there. Like, okay, yep, your baby's going to be breech. You know, no big deal at 30 weeks, no big deal at 32 weeks, 34 weeks, they start to have the conversation with you. I start to do a lot of handstands. I go swimming a whole lot. I'm like walking around on all fours in my house every chance I can get because I am going to have a, a, a vaginal delivery. Like I am going to have a vaginal delivery. W whether you like it or not, world, this is happening. I want one thing that's going to be normal. Okay. Yeah. One thing normal with this pregnancy. And this is perfect because your bestie is running, expecting and empowered. And I'm sure she's sending you all the exercises and things to do, right? <laughs> you better believe it. I even went to her sister. So her sister is Crystal and she owns a physical therapy clinic. And I'm like, make this baby unbreached. I don't know what you call it, <laughs> but unbreach this baby. So I, I drove an hour for her to unbreach the baby. Um, that didn't work. I literally tried everything. I mean, ice packs, peppermint, I everything from spinning babies, chiropractic, I, everything. I tried everything <laughs> um, and it didn't work. So they offered me an ECV, which is when they flipped the baby. Okay. So that's called an external cephalic version. Cephalic meaning like the head, you know what I mean? So like from the an external meaning on the outside. So we're on the outside going to, I'm going to say gently, you may feel yeah. otherwise Abby, but we're going to like <laughs> gently push, 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 and rotate, rotate, rotate. And this is an encouragement, you guys. So with any breech baby, the reason they're recommending this is because our medical community, frankly, just isn't trained in in safe vaginal breech birthing. So is that possible? Yes, breech without borders. I could preach their praises all day long. But when we have children that are, you know, medically like with the heart and things like that, question mark, you know, we know that a, um, a head down baby is going to be the safest delivery for mom and baby with the current training in the United States where we're recording this because you're from Wisconsin. So, yes. so, so we're encouraging Owen on the outside to rotate. Sometimes they do. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, that feels good. I like this space. I can nuzzle in there. And sometimes they're like, You'll see the fetal heart rate drop, and that's why you're being monitored very closely. They give you medications to make sure that you don't have a you know big contraction and the uterus is nice and uh, loose, really, when you have the um, ECV. And so we're encouraging Owen. Does he flip? <laughs> so it was at 37 weeks. Okay. And I went in. And another thing with babies with Down syndrome is that extra fluid is very common. Okay. So what's the what's the big long name for extra fluid? Polyhydramniosis. So I had polyhydramniosis. So my belly looked very, very big, even though it wasn't baby and it wasn't fat. It was a lot of fluid. So I had a lot of extra fluid, which happens to be very helpful when doing an ECV. <laughs> um, Owen was also extra small. So babies with Down syndrome are smaller than the average baby, which also worked to my advantage. Um, number three, he has low tone. So babies with anybody with Down syndrome, most people with Down syndrome have low tone, which means their muscles are just weaker. They aren't able to sit up as well. They aren't able to walk as fast, those types of things. However, in an ECV, it can be very beneficial. So all those th things were working for, towards me um, or for me. Um, I don't love pain medication, but they were like, hey, if you do a spinal block, you will have, it, it'll up your chances. I'm like, oh, okay. I never asked how much it's going to up my chances. I just wanted to have a vaginal delivery. So I'm like, yep, 
sign me up, even though literally if I take Tylenol, I feel like superwoman. I signed up for a spinal block, just like check the box. Um, resident gave me the spinal block, worked perfectly, couldn't feel my, my body from the breast down, felt awesome. They tried to flip them. 15 seconds, it was done. Wow. 15 seconds. They literally were cheer like there was if there could have been champagne in that oper in that operating room, there would have been champagne because it was a resident who gave me the spinal block. So he's like, it was all because of me. And then the two people who were flipping the baby, they're like, it's all because of us. It was the fastest flip that they had ever had at the UW system. So they were literally cheering because it was a 15 second flip. Oh my I'm like, goodness. okay, so this means baby's good, vaginal delivery. They're like, well, heads up, like baby could turn back around. Um, like, but things are looking pretty good. Everyone's looking good. I go to sit up and my blood pressure starts to drop. It drops even more. All of a sudden the machines start to beep. All of a sudden, all I hear is mom is crashing. Baby is crashing. Baby is not stable. Mom is no longer stable. Get, get the drugs. It was it epinephrine or nephrine. Yeah. I don't know the difference between the two. <laughs> yeah. No epinephrine. So yes. I mean, very, very scary blacked out don't know what happened for the next 30 minutes. What happened during the next 30 minutes is that Owen's heart rate dropped so low that they had to flip me. And by the way, I am a like whatever pound woman on a spinal block. So I literally cannot feel my body from my breast down. They are four people had to hold me up so that I could be like suspended with my belly down in order for his heart rate to come back. Um, it took hours and hours of different things for them to try to get the baby, to try to get our baby to have be back to stable and to try to get my blood pressure to be back stable. And even eight hours later, I mean, to fast forward, I still couldn't feel my legs. Eight hours so the after getting the spinal block. should be wearing off within 45 minutes, an hour. Eight hours. And one thing is, is that again, um, <laughs> you can't leave the hospital if you can't walk outside of the hospital. So I had to stay yeah. in the hospital with <laughs> a body that I couldn't feel. They had to set up a catheter and everything because I couldn't literally couldn't get up and move yeah. um, because my body couldn't feel any part of my body. Were you symptomatic? Like, did you feel nauseous and dizzy and like symptomatic? everything? Okay. Yeah. And I said, I said the most embarrassing things you can imagine. One of them being take off my top, take off my top. They made me like, I literally had to get naked because I was so hot. And then I kept on talking about the color of my nipples and how big my boobs were. So yeah. I don't remember any of this, yeah. but it was like, just, just the things that came out of my mind. Oh my goodness. Was Colin with you? He was. So that's okay. the thing is that he was able to be part of this one, which was at 37 weeks, which was awesome. So that's when they had okay. just started to lift a few of the things. So he was there okay. and in the room. Okay. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness. This is yes. a very rare and unique reaction to a spinal block. You know, I'm sure they explain that to you. Yes. Um, so eventually everyone's stable. Like eventually Owen's stable. There's no long consequence of, you Nope, know, they don't think, yep, I, and I was able to leave. I still, like my husband had to put me into the car because I still couldn't walk. I didn't feel my legs until like halfway through the night. Um, so I just know that getting pain medication like that just shouldn't be part of my strategy. I should have known that going into it. Um, but most people have excellent excellent spinal block experiences. I just <laughs> didn't exactly, but the baby flipped. So would I do it over and over again? I still say, yes, I would do that day over and over again because he flipped and he stayed flipped so that I could have a vaginal delivery. 
Oh my goodness. Okay. So now did you make it to the 39 week induction or did I you? did. And at okay. that point I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Now they're going to put me on Pitocin, which was like against my birth plan. At this point, I'm like, do whatever you need to do to yeah. get this baby out. But right before 39 weeks, I was doing all the things, you know, having sex. I got my membrane sweeped. I did the spicy foods, uh, bounced on a ball. I did acupuncture. I mean, you name it. I was doing it. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I am sure that Amy and Crystal like wrote you this giant regimen for like natural <laughs> induction sure methods did. going sure going on. Well, so there's lots of different induction methods. There's a, a balloon catheter. There's artificial rupture of the membranes, especially if there's a lot of amniotic fluid. Um, what did they believe was the safest type of induction um, for a 39-week um, a child with Down syndrome? Yeah, they were going to do Pitocin. Okay. Um, so that was like one of the, the first things that they had decided to do. But the nice thing was is that after I had done all this stuff, membrane sweep in the morning after sex, followed by acupuncture at 5 p.m., two hours after my acupuncture, my last acupuncture treatment, so literally 38 and six days, my water broke while I was walking my, my two older children up the stairs. Bravo. And I know. And when your water breaks and you have extra fluid, you better believe it was like in the movies. So I know a lot of water breaking does not look like it was in the movies. I mean, my shoes and the floor were covered in a lake <laughs> of amniotic fluid. Oh, I bet it felt so good. Oh, like, and like right away, I'm like, oh, okay. You could like hear it gurgling, gurgling, gurgling. I'm like, oh, my water broke and it was the first time my water had ever broken before labor with any of my yeah. kids. Oh, okay. So this is called premature rupture of the membranes, PROM, when your first sign of labor is your water breaking. Okay. So yes. now <laughs> if you were not carrying a child with Down syndrome, I would be like, no big deal. Go to bed. Wait for your contractions to start. But did they want you to go to the hospital right away? Great question because my husband literally like it, within 35 seconds, he had his bags packed, my bags packed and was like, okay, are we ready to go? And I was on the phone with them and they said, you know what? Take a nap, get some sleep. It's 7 PM. You know that you labor long. I labored long with my other two children, very, very long with my first over 50 hours with my first, um, was having contractions every eight minutes for over 50 hours. So in my mind, I'm like 7 PM. I have not slept since last night. I am going to bed. So went to bed at 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m., slept all night, had contractions every 10, 15 minutes, ones that I could wake up for but easily go back to sleep. I had a towel between my legs because the amniotic fluid just kept on coming. I, I never knew that. So like in my mind, I'm like, oh, once your water breaks, your water breaks. Oh, no, you still are producing it, and it still keeps on coming out. Yeah, your baby is peeing. <laughs> like you're producing amniotic fluid. The baby is peeing. Like there's a lot going on, right? Oh my so. gosh. So had never had that experience before, but then woke up at six in the morning. Everyone's still sleeping. It was a beautiful morning. I went out for a walk. I just like meditated while walking for a while and thought about what my life was going to be like. And at the end of the walk, I called my midwife and let her know it had been 12 hours. And at that point they said, okay, it's time to come in. Okay. And so I came in and I, with my first labor, the reason it took so long is that she was sunny side up. So I wasn't dilating. So I was having contractions every eight minutes for two days straight, but I never dilated. So in my mind, I have this really bad PTSD with getting my, um, getting checked at a cervical check and being at a low number. I can't handle it. 
So in my mind, I just always say that I'm at a seven. So I went in, I was at a seven in my mind, never asked for a check. They put me on Pitocin. They started off at two and they started going up from there. Okay. Did you ever need another medical intervention besides Pitocin or did Pitocin get you into a regular contracting rhythm, two to three minutes apart, 60 to 90 seconds long? Well, I'm glad that you asked that because I don't even believe it was the Pitocin Mm -hmm. that did it because they went up to 16. Okay. And I was still not regular. It had been six hours or so, and the Pitocin wasn't working. I was doing breast pump stimulation. I was making out with my husband to increase oxytocin, doing water baths. Nothing was working. The contractions just wouldn't go up. And it wasn't until my midwife and doula sat me down. And my midwife, she's been in the business forever and ever. She sat me down and she goes, Abby, I know your baby is safe on the inside and you know your baby is safe on the inside. We're going to do everything we can to keep that safety when your baby comes out. You just need to let this baby come out. And within 45 minutes, my contractions (laughs) stabilized. They started being really long. They started being really powerful. And that brings us to almost the end there. But it took that conversation in order for me to mentally say yes to inviting my baby into the world. Yeah. I have never had anyone have that conversation with me on the podcast, Abby, but this happens all the time with me in the birth room. I'm going to get teary. I was just with a mom that was laboring for 50 hours and she was kind of just stuck at six centimeters. And I, I just had to have a hard conversation with her. I said, And she was unmedicated, you know, and she was just such a warrior. And I said, something is holding you back. And I don't know what that something is, but you need to some private time. You need some alone time. You need the doula gone and the mom gone and the nurse is gone. And you just need to have some quiet time alone and to choose to be transformed. Abby, you had already been a mom, right? But you hadn't been a mom to Owen and you hadn't been a mom to three. And every single time, no matter if it's our sixth, our seventh, our tenth, or our first, there is a moment in birth where we must choose to change, choose to transform, choose to surrender, choose to let go, choose to give birth. And all the fear when I see this over and over again with the clients that I work with that have some uniqueness, known uniqueness in advance of the birth, letting go because that trust, the baby is safe inside of you, but trusting that Owen was going to be safe in your arms also. Yeah. How long yeah. did you labor for after you, your mind allowed you to give birth? An hour. Wow. And it was a 21-hour labor, which is also pretty cool because he rocks an extra 21st chromosome. So having the 21, it was like to the minute, 21 hours was wow. pretty darn cool. That is really cool. <laughs> I hope you have like a little like tattoo somewhere. On I know I like need to, 21. I need to get a tattoo of this at some point. Yes. I was like, <laughs> but oh, yeah, it was that conversation. It was this block that I knew I was a great special needs bump mama, but I needed to know that it was going to be a good special needs outside into the world type of mama as well. 
And yeah, once, once things started rubbing up, I started to feel pushy. And at this point they still haven't even done a cervical check. And the midwife was like, if Abby feels pushy, everyone's like cervical check, cervical check. And my midwife and I, I mean, we, we saw each other all the time, obviously leading up to the birth of this baby. She goes, if Abby feels pushy, Abby is ready to push. Good. Okay, everyone. Okay. If Abby feels pushy, she's ready to push. But Abby, you can't push right now because we haven't told the, the entire medical team. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so she like said that to everybody. And she's like, you actually can't. You actually can't have this baby right now. Because they had to bring in the heart doctors. They had to bring in the brain doctors. They had to bring the liver specialists. They had to bring in the pulmonary support. They had to bring in the special pediatrics. They had to bring in, they had to bring in, they had to bring in. There was 20 people in the room that they all ushered in. And during this time, um, I was on all fours. That's how I prefer to birth if I can. And I was facing the other way because I didn't want to see the people that were coming in, but you could just hear them chattering young people, residents, people who had never seen a birth before people who had never seen a special needs birth before. I mean, there could have probably been like random dads and moms being like, Whoa, this is kind of cool. Like a baby with down syndrome, never seen this before, but it was you almost like know. a spectacle because I'm like, go ahead guys. I'm, I'm on all fours, but facing you, if you want to see this, go for it. Yeah. But it was magical. Like this part, I love birthing. This is the part that if I could be a surrogate, I, I mean, I probably would, but the part of like pushing and working with your body and feeling when your body needs to push and then working with your body, like it is such a cool feeling. And especially knowing in my mind that I was ready to have a special needs baby at that point, And then telling my body that it was okay to deliver. Mm -hmm. It was just so smooth during that part. Oh, I love it. I have two and I, I wish I had 10. I, I, know, right? I mean, I, I, the pregnancies, I don't love so much, but I love birth. Like, I mean, birth is a becoming, you know, it like is, it we is. are so strong. We teach ourselves over and over again, how, how wildly capable we are of doing anything in that birth, that strength set you up right there in that moment to remind you again of course you can be of course I can of course you can mm -hmm. of, of course. course I can yeah I love it what was holding him like for the first time well I mean that's that's a that's a that's a whole story on in itself but to kind of let you know is that they usually don't love when just mom holds the baby right away because there can be a lot going on with a baby with down syndrome okay. so when I pushed I pushed him out I was able to catch him and I pulled him to me I don't even know if he's a boy or a girl at this point okay right, right. like have no idea I pull him to me and I can feel that he's breathing he's crying his heart is beating which okay. just the birth is already like in the down syndrome world. It's already something to be celebrated that you made it to 39 weeks with a baby who is breathing like win, win, win. And before I even know if it's a boy or girl, like the midwife pulls them down a little bit, the doctors come over and they are checking like a few checks, few checks here and there. But then they're like, you know what? Baby's good. Baby's good. And Colin looks over and we're like, we have a boy. Like we didn't know if we we're having a boy or a girl. So we found out the sex at, at delivery and holding him to me and being able to not have him taken away. Not a single doctor took him out of my arms. And that was not something that was promised. What was promised was you probably won't be able to hold your baby. Most likely a NICU stay, most likely a lot of tests, possible surgery within the first 24 hours, but nobody took him out of my arms. And that was, I mean, you, you, I could never replicate that experience. Yeah. 
What a blessing. And for those of you listening that have a child with Down syndrome and that isn't your story, you didn't get to hold your baby right away, that's okay too, you know? Yes. Holding our babies for the first time, even when sometimes that's delayed, it's 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 just magical. It's magical and we never we never want to let go. Um Abby, I've enjoyed having you on the podcast so much today and I've learned so much. Um the question that I asked before we hit record, which we never got to in the podcast, so I want to make sure we we announce this at the end. It's very important education. I had asked Abby, what is the proper term? Is how do I describe your child? <laughs> and mm-hmm, so could mm-hmm. you talk about the proper language to use when addressing parents with a child with Down syndrome? Yes. And every, every disability, special needs, like all those words can be words that people are like, ah, I don't like that word. Ah, that one doesn't sit well with me. But more, mostly, like more than that, in the Down syndrome community, we prefer first person language. So for starters, the full word Down syndrome, not shortening it to Downs, like that Downs baby or baby with Downs, use the full word Down syndrome. It's almost derogatory to pull in just the Downs now. And I had never known that before. So I learned, I'm learning just along with you guys, just a few steps ahead. And then with first person language, instead of being like your Down syndrome baby, using your baby with Down syndrome, because Down syndrome is just a small piece of Owen it's not all of him. So having that be one of his characteristics and not the thing that defines him. It's kind of similar to like when people are interchanging gender and sex and they think that it's the exact same thing, like using specific words in the Down syndrome community can just give you, it just feels so much better. So using the full term Down syndrome, not Downs. um, I mean, we all know that the R word is something that just should never be used. The words like simpleton, like all, all these words are just words of the past. And now that we know better, we can start to respect this community a lot more. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that language so much. Um, In the cerebral palsy world, it feels really good when I hear the word neurodiversity Mm. instead of Mm -hmm. disability. Um, Then I have a child who's more neurodiverse. I don't. I don't like the word disability. I don't think he has a disability. And I prefer, I think you heard me say many times, but I just prefer the word uniqueness. Like share with me what's unique about your child with cerebral palsy. And it's like the same thing with cerebral palsy. It's just a part of who he is, but not defining all of the things about him. So, And even the word normal. So a lot of people will say, oh, like, like, do the test results come back as normal? Just change it to the word typical. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really easy switch. Like, oh yeah, like is his, his, he walks in a typical way, like his typical, not normal. He's not normal because the word normal, I'm like, what is normal anyway? All of us have, have things that make us unique. So what is normal? But using the word typical can be a really easy change that you can make today too. Yeah, I love it. Abby, where I want to leave the audience is that as a birth doula, like I'm walking side by side with my clients because they're hiring me really through their fertility journeys or about 
you know, six, seven weeks along. And so I'm part of every single person's story for that anatomy scan, should they choose it. And there's a lot of anxiety that people have going into that anatomy scan for multiple reasons. And the encouragement that I give my doula clients and that I want to leave everyone with today is that um, you are carrying a human being. All of us are unique. We have personalities. We have good knees. We have good hips. We have, you know, unique looking toes. We have ADHD. We have depression. We have anxiety. We are introverts. We are extroverts. I mean, the list goes on, right? Just remember an anatomy scan is not teaching you about who your child is and who they're going to become and who they, uh, what, any really, it's just sharing a little bit about their chromosomes, about their physical characteristics, but like you are having a human being that has a lot of, of like you said with the the bowels, like a lot of colors, a lot of brightness, yes, yes. a lot of brightness to them, and so um, take the anatomy scan just one breath at a time, you know? So thank you so much, Abby, for being here today. Can you just remind everybody how to get a hold of you um, if they would like to reach out? Yeah. So Herself Podcast, and if you are a mama with a baby who has Down syndrome, or if you have just heard tough news, or if you have a friend who has heard tough news, episode 22 is a great one to listen to. It's all about how to help a friend when they need you the most. And then also on my on my personal Instagram page, Abby Rose Green, um, I'm sharing this story along with motherhood, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. And this is a very dis- important distinction. Abby is spelled A B B Y. Yes, no extra E's <laughs> in Abby or Green. Yes, I'm like A B B Y. Oh, Abby, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, and um, what you're doing is special. Thank you for giving away your self-care course to the Versory podcast listeners. And as a reminder, just hit pause and write a review for both Versory podcast and herself podcast. And we'll announce a winner about 30 days-ish after this episode airs. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. Okay, I have a really amazing discount for you guys with anjahealth.com. So it's A-N-J-A health.com. They are my exclusive partner for cord blood and tissue banking. If you've listened to episode 88 of the podcast, where I interview the CEO, Catherine Cross, all about cord blood and tissue banking and the 1,000 questions that I had. My child has cerebral palsy, from a birth injury. I cannot go back in time. It is one of my greatest regrets. So I partner with Anja Health because I'm so passionate about cord blood and tissue banking, and I really want to teach you guys all about it. 
Code Birth Story gives you the biggest discount that there is available, and they are committed to Birth Story always being the biggest discount. So right now, it makes your kit only $20, which essentially covers shipping. So it's $180 off with Code Birth Story. So please consider cord blood and tissue banking. Look at anjahealth.com. Again, it's A-N-J-A Health. Dot com. And if you are going to bank your cord blood and tissue, then please use code BIRTHSTORY so you get the biggest and best discount that is available.